And so just looking at those like four quadrants, you know, hormones and body changes and relational changes and being a full-time caretaker really impacts the quality and the relationship you have with your body and your sexuality. Hi, and welcome to the All Too Well podcast. I'm your host, Erica Huss. I'm a wellness entrepreneur, a wellness expert, and your wellness whisperer here to make your journey towards better health just a little more comfortable and a little less cringy. And speaking of cringy, let's talk about some stuff that makes us cringe, even though it shouldn't. Let's talk about the stuff that we don't like to talk about because there's still so much shame talking about intimacy and pleasure and sex and all that good stuff. And I mean, really, really, it's high time. I had a really fun and fascinating chat with Ms. Kiana Reeves, that is Kiana with an A, who is a somatic sex educator. She is a pelvic care practitioner. She's a certified doula, and she is the chief education officer of a plant-based sexual health and wellness brand called Foria. They make some really fun and fascinating, cool products for intimacy and pleasure, and you should definitely check them out. And yeah, it was great. I just, I liked really kind of breaking it down with her and getting into some stuff that we are still a little squirmy in talking about, all about the role that intimacy plays in our lives as our bodies change and whether that means going from motherhood and postpartum all the way into perimenopause and menopause. We have different needs. We have different expectations. We have different desires and, uh, our bodies and actually the chemical process that is changing our bodies have a direct impact on that. So we need to be able to adapt and we need to actually be able to identify what is going on before we can really harness it and, and reap the benefits of it and have a frank conversation with our partners. If we're talking about intimacy with our partners, and sometimes we're talking about intimacy with ourselves, but you know, in no surprise, big spoiler alert here, the entire conversation around intimacy, basically even the vernacular when we're talking about bases and the whole paradigm around sexual wellness and intimacy in many ways has been designed by men. So it is really no surprise that there is quite a schism, if you will, between the female experience and some of the stuff, some of the resources that are out there. So it's companies like Foria and people like Kiana that are really doing amazing work to kind of bridge that gap and bring some resources right to our fingertips. And when I say our, I mean primarily humans with vaginas, but it is also a beneficial conversation for humans with penises to hear. So anyway, Without further ado, I bring you my chat with Kiana Reeves. And officially, welcome to you, Kiana Reeves. Thank it's you. Very nice to meet you. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Same. Yeah, really looking forward to diving in with you. Yeah. So um, for a little bit of context, can you share with our listeners the the, the role that you are currently playing um, and, and uh, then we can kind of get into your story and, and how you got here. Yeah. The role, my role at Foria, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm chief education officer at Foria. I've worn many hats there over the years. Um, I've been with the company since we were very, very tiny, small, like shipping out of a cabin in Topanga Canyon. And my, my current role is to oversee all of our content, all of our social brand voice, things like that. And Foria, for people who may not know, is a sexual wellness brand. Is that, I mean, is that the right terminology that you would use? I know there's there's so many different ways yeah. that you can kind of attack this this uh, category now. We're definitely we're definitely sexual wellness, and I would say even broader, we're intimate wellness. Okay. So not just focused like on sex, but also periods and menopause and all of these different phases of life that are very intimate um, to the female body. So we are very female body body focused, female mm -hmm. lifespan focused, and, uh, the most intimate parts of your life. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. uh, I have, I'm definitely aware of the brand. My, my, my main question about it, uh, is when I first came across it, this is now, I think I want to say 2017, um, that it, it was in Colorado. And so you guys had this incredible, um, arousal oil that had mm -hmm. CBD, but then also THC in it. Right. If mm -hmm, I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm, and yeah. that one was like, 
wow, wow. It was incredible. Um, and I know things yeah. have changed and now you're only selling the, t- the, the CBD product. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So the THC market, I mean, the THC products were so fun and we were the first in the whole cannabis, legal cannabis industry to make anything remotely related to sexual wellness and Mm -hmm. sexuality and and female pleasure. And so we had a line of products that had THC in them that were available only in dispensaries in California and Colorado. And unfortunately, like we would probably still have that line if the regulations weren't so intense. But what happens when you have states that are legal, but a country that's not legal Mm -hmm. is you can't ship product across state lines. And so every state that we would have expanded into, we would need to grow and extract and manufacture and educate all of the dispensaries. Mm. And to scale that just takes so much. We were just up against so many odds, especially because of our standards. You know, we we're like organic only grow. You have to grow like organically, regeneratively. We test everything. And so it's really hard to scale that as a small business. And um, we pivoted and wanted to make things more accessible to everyone and reverse engineered the way that THC works, which is the active cannabinoid that we were working with in those formulas. And yeah, made our amazing CBD line with multi-botanicals. Mm-hmm. So is it, um, and then I want to get more into kind of the areas that you have expertise and I think a lot of people, um, you know, there are so many podcasts out there that focus on brand building and products and all of that. And look, I was, I mean, I, I was one of them, I created one of them and, and, um, but I, I love to just kind of get more into people's background and kind of what brought them to where they right. are and not necessarily turn it into an infomercial. That being said, yeah. um, I know <laughs> yeah, that this yeah. is, this is an area that, um, there's not as much awareness, I think, um, in the, in the scope of wellness products and brands, uh, that where, where, intimacy overlaps with, um, cannabis. So, I mean, mm-hmm. is Foria, it's an intimacy company first, and then cannabis is kind of one of the main ingredients, or is it not necessarily even in uh, CBD, not necessarily an ingredient in as many of the products? Like I'm not as familiar with the, the whole kind of range of, of products. Yeah. So we have always had many botanicals in our line. And there's a reason for that, which is simply that different plants have different compounds and different impacts on the system. And so we've had a lot of formulas since the beginning that were multi-botanical. And CBD has been a primary ingredient in the formulas that it made sense to be in because of its use factor, its use case. And so in our intimacy formulas, a lot of them have a lot of CBD in them, plus other ingredients because of the way CBD can impact relaxation, support arousal, which supports pleasure, supports comfort, all of the things that you want for, for sexual pleasure. Um, in another line that we have our menopause line, there's no CBD in there at all because it didn't make sense with the formulas that we were making. They were about hydration. They were about, mm-hmm. um, you know, internal and external hydration and, and CBD doesn't really have an impact on that. Yeah. So I'd say we're a, a botanical forward company. CBD is one of our ingredients in certain formulas. That makes sense. Okay. Well, so I want to hear your story and how you arrived where you are, because I know you've had quite a, a deep and um, expansive experience in your, in your career. Yeah. It's so funny because I never, like, I never did the thing that was like, this is my career and this is yeah. what I, the track I'm going down. Same. I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, it, I, I think it probably, I mean, obviously my interest started much earlier, but in college I had a professor pull me aside and he was like, I know you're majoring in sociology, but I, you're at a school, one of the only schools in California that lets you write your own major. Do you want to do that? And he was like, I'll chair your, I'll chair your, um, your degree. And I was like, uh, I can do that. And it kind of like put me on this path of just, I was like, what am I interested in? I majored in women, agriculture, and spirituality, which is basically like, Long terminology for witchcraft, kind of like that. I like I, I studied say, I like these like I studied together. witchcraft in college. Yeah, I love that. And realized that years later, I was like, damn, I should have named it witchcraft as a yes. bachelor's, you know. But um, and so then beyond that, I just like I I responded to things that interested me. So I started out as a doula and then became a mom, and becoming a mom really showed me so much about 
um, my sexual identity that and how it evolves at these different phases of life. And I think that's really been the seed is like these different phases of life in the feminine sexual cycle, the female sexual cycle. And so studied to become a somatic sex educator, um, sexological body work, had a hands-on intravaginal practice doing uh, pelvic work and uh, scar tissue remediation. And then at the same time joined Foria because um, I had the expertise to be able to talk about what our products were trying to do and what they were meant for. Mm-hmm. And that that fusion worked really well. And for many years worked side by side with our co-founder, Matthew Gerson, to, to build the brand and to build the voice and to create a mission that promoted sex positivity and um, female pleasure, you know, centered females needs as the core of our business model. And yeah, it's been six years now. That's amazing. Good for you. Um, So, I mean, let's talk more about, I mean, you mentioned a lot of things kind of on that, on that track, on that journey of, of things that you kind of dug into a little bit more to really develop your expertise. And I think a lot of those headers aren't necessarily topics that people are super familiar with, or I would venture to say super comfortable talking about, because unfortunately there's still so much, you know, kind of not even shame. It's not quite that extreme most of the time, but certainly kind of like a blush factor that comes with talking about intimacy and sexual wellness and pleasure. But the reality is it's something that we all should experience. If we're not experiencing it, then something's definitely wrong. Um, and we should be able to talk about it because if we can normalize the conversation, then we can probably, I mean, I don't need to tell you, this is what you're doing, but is, you know, the opportunity to elevate everyone's experience exists. Um, so can you talk a little bit more just about like what, what you started out with, um, become, you know, becoming a doula and then becoming a mom and and what the experience is and how that impacts your sexual identity. Cause I do think that that's something I myself, am not a mom, but I have many, many friends who are, and it's something that people kind of talk about behind closed doors, like how their sense of identity in general changes, let alone, you know, specific to sex. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting because there's this kind of like psychological schism in our society around motherhood and sexuality. And for the large majority of people, the way that you become a mother is through sex. And there's all of these interconnections between not just getting pregnant through a sexual act a lot of the time, most of the time, but how sexual pleasure can actually facilitate birth, for example, you know, one of the ways, one of the things they teach you as a doula and, and being in the birth room is if labor is stalled, nipple stimulation. And mm. nipple stimulation actually starts to create uterine contractions. Orgasms are very similar. Orgasms can do the same thing and create these uterine traction, um, contractions. And so there's these inherent connections between our reproductive cycle and our sexual cycles that are kind of talked about in very different ways. One is more like medicalized and the other is like a little more taboo, but they, they are very interwoven and very supportive of each other. And when you have a child, our biology, a lot of the time naturally turns down the part of our sex drive that's loud and it does it for good reason. If you're breastfeeding, for example, you're not wanting to, you know, it's the, your body's giving you a sign basically, Hey, I have a small infant. I don't necessarily need to get pregnant again right now. So the prolactin brings the estrogen down. The estrogen plays a huge role in your sex drive and also the resiliency and, and lubrication in your vaginal tissues. And so a lot of moms and a lot of new parents, you know, six months out, a year out, even, are like, where did my sex drive go? Mm-hmm. Maybe two years out. It took me two years and stopping breastfeeding to really feel like I was in my flow again. And that experience of ourselves as still being sexual beings, but not desiring sex in the same way or having a different relationship with our body because of the way that our births went or because our, you know, vagina changed. Like that's a, that's a whole thing. Like if you have a vaginal birth, even a cesarean, 
your pelvic floor can change. The amount of sensation and blood flow that's happening intravaginally changes where your G-spot used to be and where it feels like it is now. You know, there's all kinds of things that no one's really discussing, but your body changes a lot. And so not only are you impacted on the front of your biological hormonal drive for sex, but then you have this, my body's changed and it looks different and it feels different. And then layered on top of it, you have the relational changes, which are one, you're probably the primary caretaker and you have a little person on or near your body all the time. And your awareness is so externalized that you're not really having the space to check in with like, how am I? What do I need? And then relationally, because your awareness is external all the time, there's often, you know, a kind of like a lot less juice in the tank for intimate connection because your, your time is so different. And so just looking at those like four quadrants, you know, hormones and body changes and relational changes and being a full-time caretaker really impacts the quality and the relationship you have with your body and your sexuality. And like we get little to no preparation for that, you know, and science or the studies show us that the first two years after having a baby is often the hardest time for couples Mm -hmm. because of the pressure it puts on, you know? So, I mean, I could go on and on. I could go on about the nuclear family model and like, <laughs> like how that's not good for anyone and how that impacts us. But I, I can't, I think I'll stop there and we can go. No, it's fascinating. Well, but then it also, of course, begs the question, you know, for those of us out there like me who are like, okay, well, what if we haven't had a kid and we yeah. haven't even necessarily gone through, you know, the range of, of hormone changes that comes with, I mean, certainly perimenopause and menopause, but even before that, you know, if you're in, there are, if you're in a long-term relationship and there are peaks and valleys when it comes to drive and the ability to even, even if your drive is there, you can't necessarily always derive the same pleasure. And so like, what, what is, you know, without even being in in the, in the doula conversation, well, I guess you're a sexual doula as well. So (laughs) I mean, what, what happens to those people? What are, what are they get to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the beautiful thing about being a woman or ha- having female bodies that like we're, we're always in cycles. Our whole nature is about cycles, whether it's the menstrual cycle or the lifespan cycle of coming into, you know, puberty and maturing and then coming into adulthood. And then we have this, you know, the perimenopause, there's a there's a time before perimenopause where we're leading up into perimenopause. It's not just those few years and then menopause. It's like, no, the body is actually always changing. Mm-hmm. Hormone levels are changing. We have these very intricate things happening. And they, like you said, impact the quality of our relating and the way we see the world and the way we experience the world. And I think something that is interesting to talk about is how as we get older, we feel more clear in who we are. We feel more powerful. Often we feel more fulfilled in our lives. We feel less self-conscious. We have all of the, the makings of what makes for really a great fulfilling sex life, which is, you know, lack of, you know, we kind of like release shame, all of the things that lead into like, this is a culmination moment of potential ecstasy. And at the same time, as you're entering perimenopause and menopause, the body goes through so many changes. And like we talked about with postpartum, when the estrogen goes down, it's very similar. It can change the vaginal tissues, the lubrication, and kind of like the um, the protective quality of that vaginal mucosa. So it can get very sensitive, can feel irritated easily. It can get dry, can be harder to reach climax and orgasm. And that's all because of estrogen. It plays a huge role in our, in our sexual pleasure. And so there's a few things that you can, there's many things that you can do. There's many different approaches. The first is I I think the most important is like the pillar of like staying connected to your sensuality and your sexuality. And there's their horrible saying is like, 
use it or lose it. I hear that from a lot of people, you know, which is like, it's so offensive. What they're saying is like, like exercise this part of your life. You like be in this part of your life, just in the same way that, you know, you work your glutes. If you want your glute muscles to like be strong and be functional, um, same with the pelvic floor. And so it's a, like taking care of your sexuality is a kind of way to be whole and be well is really important, especially if it's part of your life you enjoy and you want to continue enjoying for a long time. And that a lot of times is because of blood flow. So the more blood flow you get to the genitals regularly, the happier and healthier those tissues are going to be, the more active they're going to be, the more, you know, like the cell turnover, all of the things that you want, just like in exercise, the more you exercise, the more oxygen, the healthier all your systems are, same thing. And so that would be step one. And then step two is like bring in the tools that support your pleasure and your sensation and your comfort. So really high quality lubes always really important. Um, arousal oil, 4A makes an arousal oil that's absolutely phenomenal and well-loved by many people in perimenopause and menopause. And it's all of the botanicals in there are around activating arousal, which is blood flowing into the genitals. And then um, on top of that, there are things that you can look into if you know, you're experiencing a more intense, you know, pain or discomfort or anything like that. There's some really interesting laser therapies and hormone therapies that you would need medical support for, but that are very effective at supporting those, those issues and concerns. Mm-hmm. But yeah. so as a, from a doula's perspective, what, and again, I mean, I think we understand doula conventionally to be about assisting and supporting mm-hmm. the birth process, but you're kind of zooming mm-hmm. out and you're really serving as more of a, of a guide and support for all of these different stages. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So f- from the doula's perspective, I mean, those are super tactical, helpful tips for, you know, step one being you have to actually exercise and you have to in- stimulate the blood flow. But what about if before step one even happens where, I mean, it's the conversation is very often among girls, you know, my girlfriends, women my age, it's like to to actually get to step one, you have to have the the desire and the interest to even do that. And I feel like so many people feel like I wish that I even wanted to think about it, but I kind of don't like, what do you say? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question because sex drive is this thing we understand as like a very, well, I'm going to go, I have two answers for this. The first is we have to reshape the way we think about desire and sex drive. Sex, like libido is an umbrella term for sex drive. And we understand that desire to be a spontaneous desire for sex or a, or a desire that arises in the mind first for a sexual connection or experience. And there's actually two types of desire There's spontaneous desire, which is the one we're all familiar with and think is like the one. And then there's responsive desire, which is really body-based responding to environment desire. And the mind often catches up later. And so if you're aware, like, okay, well, my spontaneous desire is has kind of dwindled. I don't feel that random urge anymore. But when I do get in the mood it's because I've found these access points like a a massage or my partner whispering in my ear in this particular way. Or for me, one of the ways that I really like to find my desire, which is basically what responsive desire is, is Mm -hmm. learning what activates it and learning how to turn it on. Um, It's having a practice around sensual movement that helps me feel what my body likes. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be sexual, but, you know, spending 15 to 30 minutes a day or a few times a week alone with your body, not masturbating, not, I mean, you can, but, but just like touching yourself and feeling like, Oh, it actually, like, I feel good being touched. Mm -hmm. This is not a burden. This is not like a thing on my to-do list. This is actually something that deeply nourishes me can kind of help 
install a more flexible and fluid relationship around our sexual needs and then what happens when there's, I think, sexual expectations. Mm -hmm. And that those are the two things that bump into each other often, especially in relationship is we do have sexual needs, but we're not necessarily attending to them because they might, we might need a bath or we might need to like be kissed or we might need to, you know, look deeply in our partner's eyes and, and like have connection. Those are all parts of our erotic needs, but the expectations are the things that are getting the attention in the relationship. Like, Oh, we haven't had sex in like seven days. So like, let's do that. And then you bypass all of these other things that you're actually craving. And that's what makes sex feels like a burden. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it feel like, oh, this is on my to-do list because you're not getting deeply nourished mm -hmm. up and underneath in the ways that you need to. And so start with nourishment. That's what I would say. Start with the things that actually nourish you, that actually put you in connection with your sensuality and your own eroticism outside of your relational space. And then find a way in through your body. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, I think, unfortunately, all of that gets filed under things that people will just say they don't have time to do, right? So many Completely. people are like, who has time Completely. to take a bath? And Okay, I get yeah. that. You, maybe not everybody has time yeah. to take a bath. But to your point, yeah. everybody has time even you know while you're sitting and watching TV, although I imagine that being more tuned in as opposed to tuned out is better. But that whole experience, like you were describing, of touch and of sensation, which I think we don't spend enough time doing, you know, taking note of any sensation, let alone whether yeah. it's leading to something or just for the sake of, of feeling and of, of yeah. sensing. Um, yeah. And it also reminded me, and I'm curious what you think about this, of, I, there, I read one article recently, but there have been quite a few, I think, on the topic you know, in recent, in recent news and press just about the idea of uh, the importance of non-sexual touch between couples and how, mm -hmm. I think it was actually the, the more specific article I'm remembering was, it was something to do with like the cringe response. Did you, have you seen anything mm -hmm. about this where people like, you know, talking about, they have this feeling of actually literally recoiling when touched by yeah. their partner and feeling threatened by this sense of touch because if you go to touch my shoulder or hold my hand, it automatically means now I have to start thinking about. Sex. I know what it means. Mm -hmm. Ugh, exactly. Yeah, and it's so fucking yeah. stressful. Like that is so such yeah. a, a burden that we put into our own brains, and it's like a lightning yeah. reaction reflex. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I think yeah, that that sense of non-sexual touch and starting with yourself, like you said, and then yeah. moving into the partnership. Yeah, so totally. Yeah, it's funny. I think I was interviewed in a uh, for a, an article around the cringe response, and to me, cringe response means you are overriding so many of your emotions just to be functional in that moment. Mm -hmm. That you need to like work backwards and like feel the things that are happening, which is often overwhelm mm -hmm. and often. Um, unattended needs underneath mm -hmm. past resentments, pressures, like things that haven't been communicated that now are showing up in your body as like, uh, like, how can I open to you? How can I open here when I have all of this going on? Mm -hmm. And yet, because the way our society works, like you pointed out is like, people are like, I don't have the time. Like we have such a bigger problem around yeah. our addiction to productivity, quote yep. unquote, that we don't have the time to feel our bodies, to connect with the things that make us feel most alive and well, and have space in our intimate lives for exploration. Like, th like that's a big societal problem. Even when you look at Europe, which is, you know, Western civilization comparable in the way that we function and yet they know how to go sit by the river at 5 p.m. for hours at a time and have dinner under the stars with all of their friends, you know, for five hours straight. It's like, we're like, let's drive through in and out and go as fast as we can eat in the car. And like, you know, it, it's just like, like, that's this? not, that's not how we're made. Like Ugh. stress is the number one thing that will impact sex drive. And it's the most chronic problem in the U.S. 
stress is absolutely the number one thing, you know, the level of isolation, the level of depression, the level of anxiety, the level of financial pressure coupled with the stress of just trying to survive will obliterate any sex drive if that's chronic feeling in your body. Right. You know? I mean, it, it has an impact on literally every other system in our body. So to think that it would yeah. not impact our sexual and our intimate system is, is ridiculous. Um, but- yeah. And cortisol has the same root hormone, the same mother hormone that your sex hormones do. So if you're making cortisol because you're stressed, it's not going to flow into the sex hormones that you need to feel that like sense of libido, but also just like biologically, it will deprioritize sex Mm -hmm. because when you're in fight or flight or freeze in any chronic way, your body's being told to run or fight or like play dead Mm -hmm. in some extreme level, you know, and you're not going to like notice it as that. You're not gonna be like, I feel like I'm playing dead. You're going to feel foggy, tired and unavailable like you want to tune out or you're going to feel irritated and on guard and um, hypervigilant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Reactive. Or you're going to feel like you want to run away and and keep, you know, keep things moving. And so when you look at it that way and you're like, Oh, here's the quality of my nervous system in a day-to-day perspective. Of course, there's no space for sex and eroticism because I'm not in a state of, regulation, I'm actually in a state of chronic, unhealthy activation, Mm -hmm. unhealthy levels of stress. Stress is normal and fluctuates, but yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so daunting because it's such an enormous, enormous problem that we culturally have not been able to solve here. I feel like the more we talk about it, the worse it seems to get. Um, I mean, which, you know, I I was going to say, it's not, we're not here to solve people's stress. Like that's not going to happen in the course of this conversation here. It's not going to happen in the entire lifespan of every podcast episode I do, even though we all know that that's like one of the biggest problems facing our health and well-being. My hope is that in at least having these conversations, people hear like, oh, well, this is another thing that I should, you know, take into consideration when I'm trying to manage my stress. But then, as I just said, it's like the more we talk about it, it feels like the worse it gets. So I I don't actually know what the answer is. It just feels like, you know, there's, there's more good that comes from sharing the information and at least kind of raising people's awareness to the impact that they're often choices, not always. I'm not saying that stress is, you know, your lifestyle is, is a choice. Some, there are many, many, many people who don't have the optionality to remove certain stressors from their lives, but the one, you know, the, the stressors that you can remove or at least identify or mitigate somehow. And then if you have the, the luxury of being able to control some of those stressors, like it's just so, so, so important to everything everything. Yeah. That's my little soapbox. Yeah. It's so important because it is like being able to talk about stress and try to take stress out of, you know, your life. It is a luxury and it is a privilege to go, okay, like, well, what can I change? Because majority of the world doesn't, doesn't have that option. And so, um, I think it's really important to acknowledge that. And then to secondarily acknowledge, like, this is a collective issue. This is like a society wide issue. And somehow, knowing that you are not alone in your sense of survival or like, you know, trying to create a thriving life for you or your family and that everyone's having that same feeling can at least hopefully help take any shame out of the bucket that would say like, oh, it's just me going through this or like, why am I not why am I unable to handle everything mm-hmm. on my plate, mm-hmm. you know? And so the talking about it at least takes a little bit of the, not I'm broken, but like, how, how does anyone do this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I yeah. That's right. Um, okay. Well, let's switch lanes a little bit and talk about. <laughs> yeah. We went about, deep. I love it. I know we did. Let's talk about <laughs> orgasms now. Um, right. <laughs> I want to know about this concept is known as the orgasm gap that you mentioned. Cause mm-hmm. I would like to mm-hmm. understand what that is about and what do we do about it? And yeah. how do we think about it? 
another luxury problem that we have here or <laughs> well, like yes. a privilege problem, but it, but it's, it's interesting what's interesting about it. And I'm not a good, like specific numbers person, but there's about a 30% gap for heterosexual couples. When you look at the percentage of men in heterosexual relationships that reach orgasm every time, I think it's in the 90, 90th percentile. And for women in heterosexual relationships, it's like in the 60th percentile, I, I believe. So it's, there's about a 30% gap between who's having orgasms regularly. Yet, when you look at lesbian relationships or you look at other um, relationships, those numbers change pretty drastically. And when you look, this is the most interesting one, at women on their own with solo sex, the number goes back into the 90th percentile. So those numbers side to side, That's <laughs> to <pretty> me, <laughs> say, okay, we are we are centering our sexual experiences on a particular belief of how that process should go mm-hmm. based on media and porn and what we have not been taught, the lack of what we've been taught about how bodies work. Because most female bodies take around 20 to 40 minutes to reach heightened states of arousal. 80% need more stimulation than just penetration to reach climax. So they need clitoral stimulation or or some other type of stimulation to reach climax. And within within that framework, it's so clear that people are not being educated on the way the female body works. Mm -hmm. And it's not our model for kind of like a sexual experience or a sexual trajectory, which is kind of like first base, second base, third base, fourth base, you know, kiss, fondle breasts, a little bit of hand stimulation, maybe some oral penetration done. If you're lucky, it like kind of goes in that order. And that's not female centric at all. And like the belief that, you know, you'll come together and some like analogy that's baseball related. You don't say. Yeah. Exactly. Bases, right? Oh, great. I'll get to here and then here and then here and then here and then it's done and I made a home run. And it's like, oh, Jesus. Oh, it's so frustrating. So we, if, if we use something even like a wave analogy where we understood that the female body has these waves that rise and fall and that all, all of us have the potential to be multi orgasmic if our partners stay with us and ride waves with us. And so the reframe is like, okay, if on average a male takes, I think it's like, I think it's 10 minutes. Again, my numbers thing is not great, but, but the gap between how long it on average, it takes a male person to reach climax in a sexual experience is, is 10 minutes, let's say. And on average, to reach heightened arousal for a female, it's 20 to 40 minutes. Heightened arousal means that they're aroused intravaginally. So like penetrative sex could potentially lead to climax. You're looking at 10, 20, 30 minute difference in the amount of time it's going to take one person to really experience intensified pleasure. So that's the amount of time we should anticipate needing to warm up the body and be in a space of bringing arousal and not diving into penetration and not being goal oriented and having a kind of like female centric model of sexuality so that by the time we're 40 minutes in an hour into the experience is that both people can reach these ecstatic climactic states. Yeah. So what are we going to do about that? That, It's time everybody needs to go back to health class. Life life goals. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let alone where is the clitoris, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, I know you guys, I mean, obviously, Foria is making big efforts in this area. Um, So I think you know, it's, it's a, it's a worthy cause. Um, I wonder how many, how many people, how many couples are willing to actually put in the time and do the work, mm-hmm. um, as opposed mm-hmm. to just, you know, closing your eyes and hoping for the best. 
Yeah. It's tricky, but I guess that's where that's where some of these products come in. And again, not to be the infomercial about it, but this is actually these these products have like very specific yeah. uses for exactly what you're talking about, right? Sort of creating literally why they were designed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, what do you what do you recommend in in that case? And even if it's not specifically a Foria product, but even if it's just, you know you know, certain types of toys or certain types of supplements and herbs and things like that. Anything that is, that is, that contributes here. I mean, what are your favorite go-to suggestions? Um, we talk in couples or to help women experience more pleasure. Well, I guess those two are kind of related because you're saying that on their own, women seem to be doing a pretty good job of it, um, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't go for every woman. So, I mean, I yeah, think yeah, that, for that sure. woman yeah. needs the, you know, she needs the yeah. advice too. But then I think yeah. to your point, it's the hetero couples that seem to be, you know, scoring very low. Yeah. So first thing, like product aside, and I'll dive into what are some supportive tools, product aside, I would say the number one thing you can do is take your go-to habitual map, your goal-oriented sex off the table and just go, what, what would happen if we, our intention sexually was to stay connected to the moment and meet what's feeling good in the moment, which might mean you kiss and you make out and you roll together naked and that starts feeling good. And then there's some hand play and then maybe there's some oral sex and then you maybe go back to kissing and then maybe there's some penetration, but then you pause and then there's more oral sex and then you make out and, you know, like, like let it be Mm nonlinear in the experience because if intent, if the intention is connection and to to feel each other as opposed to like going in a singular direction that you both know where it's going, you'll find so much richness and possibility and nuance, which is really where that, that incredible pleasure can come in. And then secondarily tools. So I work for Foria, but I also love Foria. The products we make are unparalleled in their quality We've done a really good job of making sure they're clean and we're really transparent with our ingredients. So everything is plant-based. Everything is sourced organically whenever possible. Every product is tested for pesticides and um, any like contaminants, which no, no sex company does that. None. We do it because we want to make sure you're not getting like heavy metals from the fertilizer that's you you know what I mean like it's it's like really rigorous testing because your vaginal mucosa is very absorbent it's basically like putting something in your mouth you know it's going to go in your bloodstream and um we have our sex oil which is for moisture and glide and slip which you don't want friction during penetration so that's really important we have our arousal oil which is kind of where people start you apply that And it takes about 15 to 20 minutes to absorb into the body and kind of help that arousal process. Our intimacy melts are phenomenal there. And they are our answer to internal arousal. Mm -hmm. Essentially the arousal oil, you can't, it's hard to get enough of it inside to, to have it activating inside. So the, the intimacy melts are for internal pleasure. Awaken is for the external pleasure. And then the sex oil is for glide and slip. That combination is phenomenal. And I think a really great plate, like a trifecta of where to start if you're wanting hands-on support there. And then, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of sex toys insofar as that you bring variety to anything sexual. Like bring, if you are someone who masturbates with vibrators always, like, incorporate your hands, start to incorporate other things. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who always uses your hand, maybe try a vibrator, you know, like what you want is variety in sensation, Mm -hmm. variety in stimulus pathways so that your body has many opportunities to have an orgasm versus just one standard path that your body knows how to respond to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. 
you know, we need variety everywhere else. So I don't know why this yeah. would be, it would be excluded yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, what do you think is the, who's the audience that is really most, I guess, in need of these types of tools, this type of information, like, you know, there's such a broad range, obviously, of consumers and of, of, of just recipients of this information. But I feel like there have to be some major gaps, I guess, in like who's adopting it versus who is sort of just, you know, kind of shunning it or, or, or not comfortable with it. Like, who are you, who do you, Kiana, like for you, Asaiba, who do you want to reach with this message mm-hmm. and with this whole mission? So funny, you're asking us, you're asking me the question like we at Foray have never been able to answer because it's always been everyone. Yeah. Like it, it's literally always been, okay, you know, we'll, we go through the whole thing. Who's our core customer? Like what's our age? Which are, and, and all of the time, every time we've done this, the numbers come back. Well, she's 20 to 70 years old. And we're like, <laughs> of course she is. Of course she is. <laughs> We can't put her in a box because <laughs> I love it. the whole, like, you know, the whole idea that like, like we're always changing. I'm going to bring it back to this. Like the, the 20 year old, let's just do sweeping generalizations here. The 20 year old coming into a more formative free time in her sexuality, knowing her body more, but maybe not having experienced like ecstatic states yet needs this information and these products and, you know, the, the openness to discover herself, the 30 year old who is potentially in long-term partnership and going through some of the things we talked about that happen in long-term partnership where there's valleys, peaks and valleys, or maybe gaps in who's experiencing pleasure, or maybe there's, you know, you're having children and your body's changing. So she needs it for a whole other batch of reasons. 40s and 50s is the years that you're starting to see hormonal changes and perimenopause and menopause. And that vastly impacts your relationship with your body and your sexuality. So we need it then too. And then like, this is so fascinating, by the way. If women are having, experiencing menopause roughly in their 50s, let's say late 40s, early 50s, we have a third to sometimes half of our life that happens after menopause. Yep. Like that should totally shock people yeah. in hearing that and going like, oh, half of my life will be, a, a third to half of my life will be lived after this, this point where in society we're kind of seen as like, aging and or irrelevant and just or desexualized yeah they just they're no longer relevant. and undesirable yeah, yeah. Terrible. and so that like that that piece like we need it then because like that is actually a time where we are the the most free the most ourselves the most us we've ever been you know and of course our sexuality continues to evolve well into our 70s 80s and ho- hopefully as long as we live you know, sex yeah. isn't just about our ability to like be penetrated and have intercourse. It's a huge component of our psyche and our well-being and the way we relate that is well, well and alive for as long as you want it to be. So that's my soapbox. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, it's great. I mean, I love the answer because you know, I think from like a, from a brand building, you know, marketing boardroom perspective, nobody ever wants to hear like our product is for everyone because that means that, you Mm. know, all of your marketing exercises and your little tools and things are kind of useless because you're trying to be everything to everybody. But the reality is there are some things out there that should just be for everybody. And I feel like, you know, Somebody should gift their grandma some Foria for Christmas and get it back in totally. return. <laughs> We've done those campaigns. And that, that's the thing is like, okay, yes, it's for everyone in like who's listening, who's ready to listen. Mm-hmm. We're talking like 30s, 40s, and 50s is kind of our 
our core, okay, these are the people who are listening right now. Um, but we've done those campaigns. We've been like, for Mother's Day, gift your mom a lube. And people are like, oh, why would I do that? You know, or they get it and they're like, okay, maybe. But it, it's funny. Like it really brings up the confronting way that we relate with human sexuality and how limited we are in our capacity to be with the fullness of it. Yeah, I think that's very true. I think at the very least, we're talking about it more. We're normalizing the conversation among our Mm -hmm. own peers. So from our perspective, looking down to later generations, maybe it becomes a little bit less taboo. But yeah, yeah, to your point, like if you told me to give my mom lube for Mother's Day, it's not happening. Like we're looking upwards, we're probably still not having those conversations. But hopefully, moving forward in our in our timeline as a as a culture, we can we can eradicate that that piece of it. Yeah. Well, this is um, always you know just I love learning from from the experts on on all stuff like this so this has been fascinating and exciting and i'm yeah, eager for people to hear this and you know learn more about your products and and uh kind of Thank empower you. themselves with with this type of knowledge and information it's very eye-opening thank you so much it was a really fun conversation yes you too well thanks so much and best of luck and people can find for a uh is it only is mm-hmm. it direct to consumer or are you guys also no you're in retail because I got you in Colorado oh we're yeah we're in tons yeah. yeah we're in tons of retail um online and then if you you know love content things like that we have an amazing blog and we also have a really fun Instagram account which is at Foria Wellness cool and for anybody who hasn't figured it out it's like Euphoria mm-hmm. F O R I A <laughs> yes yeah. yeah um thank you so much Kiana. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to All Too Well, guys. And as always, I am accepting stars, reviews, all of the above. They don't cost you anything and they mean a lot to me. So if you do have time, head on over to Apple Podcasts and throw me a few stars and, uh, you know, just do a good turn. Thanks. Thanks.